a Christian Reconstruction Library for anyone who wants to discover the extent to which modern humanism qualifies as a dying world and life view, the best book available is Herbert Schlossberg's Idols for Destruction, Christian Faith and Its Confrontation with American Society, published by Thomas Nelson Publishers in 1983. But knowing that your opponent is philosophically doomed is not enough to give you a victory over him in history. Goliath was doomed from the beginning, but David needed a sling and a stone to demonstrate just how doomed he was. Yet it should be obvious that once a culturally dominant world and life view is in philosophical and moral retreat, its days are numbered. It may exert influence for a while longer through the exercise of power, but power will eventually ebb away from those who no longer have moral confidence in what they are doing. Humanism has collapsed philosophically and morally. Slossberg's book provides evidence that humanism's moral collapse will eventually lead to its institutional collapse. Therefore, the book raises a key question. If humanism is going to collapse institutionally, what will replace it? He thinks it has to be Christianity. But what kind of Christianity? He does not say. But he does say this much. Whatever kind of Christian civilization will triumph, it will not be able to survive if it displays a schizophrenic division between word and deed. It will have to be consistent. Straight teaching combined with straight living in the biblical vision is to dominate all of life. There will be no exempt corners in which one conducts business as usual while making perfunctory gestures toward religious observances. Page 299. Whatever replaces humanism must be comprehensive, a world and life view that addresses every area of life. Its recommended alternative programs must also be philosophically consistent with its declared world and life view. If it is to survive over long periods of time, its recommended programs must also be practical. The programs must work, meaning that they must be consistent with the way the world really works, as well as consistent with its own presuppositions. A world-transforming gospel is not one that offers a religious way of life whose visible positive effects are strictly confined to family and church, hearth and sanctuary, because people demand more from a world and life view than the promise of a safe place of temporary retreat when the workday or work week is done. What people insist on is a system for their life's work that really does work. What they demand, in short, is a system for dominion. There's an old political slogan, you can't beat something with nothing. For almost 30 years, Christian Reconstructionists have been publishing books, articles, and newsletters in an attempt to provide the Christian world with a positive Bible-based program, an alternative to today's collapsing humanist civilization. Without a workable biblical alternative to humanism, Christians cannot legitimately hope to succeed in pressing the claims of Christ in every area of life. This is why Christians need a comprehensive world and life view. Turning away means turning toward. Wherever there is sin, there will always be a need for the healing power of the gospel, and there will always be a need for repentance, a turning away from sin. But turning away from one way of life necessarily requires turning toward a different way of life. Without a positive alternative world and life view to offer sinners, and without positive programs in every area of life that are consistent with this different world and life view, Christians will always find it difficult to persuade sinners to turn away from what they have come to love and cherish. Sin and a civilization built on sin. 
a few people in a generation will be willing to abandon their dreams of success in this world in exchange for a promise of pie in the sky, by and by, but most people instinctively realize that any religion that promises hope beyond the grave should also be able to demonstrate its future ability to deliver the heavenly goods beyond the final judgment by delivering a substantial down payment in history, or as the King James translators called it, an earnest. Ephesians 1.14 Christian Reconstructionists have argued that consistent biblical Christianity can and does deliver the goods in history, yet it is precisely this claim that has outraged the critics, both humanistic and pietistic. Christian Reconstructionists have presented a detailed, comprehensive, Bible-based program which people should turn to and then work toward when they repent. Christian Reconstructionists argue that the gospel message of redemption is as comprehensive as the effects of Adam's rebellion. Every area of life was affected by Adam's fall. Therefore, every area of life was in principle restored by the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. To argue that Christian principles do not apply in a particular area of life is necessarily to argue that this particular area of life is somehow ethically neutral, that God does not intend to bring it under his judgment because he has set forth no laws in his revealed word for governing it. Christian Reconstructionists deny that any such ethical free zone exists, can exist, or ever has existed. Our critics necessarily believe that such neutral areas do exist, governed by neutral law rather than biblical law. Yet at the same time, most of them insist that they do not believe in the myth of neutrality. In this sense, they suffer from a malady that Rush Dooney has called intellectual schizophrenia. They both affirm and deny neutrality. To the extent that Christians adopt the idea that anything is an authority equal to the Bible, they have in fact adopted the view that some idea of man's sits in judgment of the Bible. There has to be a final authority in thought and culture. If it is not the Bible, then it must be something else. When Christians adopt any version of neutrality, natural law, natural rights, or natural anything else, they inevitably face the same old problem, how to beat something with nothing. They are trying to overcome the collapsing civilization built by natural man by using the religion of natural man. If we Christians say that nothing is neutral, then we should not rely on God-hating philosophers to supply us with our first principles in politics, economics, psychology, education, or anywhere else. We must offer something better, meaning something self-consciously biblical. This is what Christian Reconstructionists have been doing for over a quarter of a century. This is also why Reconstructionists are so deeply resented. The Literature of Christian Reconstruction The amount of Christian Reconstruction literature is large and growing rapidly. It will continue to grow. Anyone who reads published criticisms of the Christian Reconstruction position should carefully examine these criticisms to see whether the particular critic offers evidence that he or she has read the basic literature of the movement and has quoted from large sections of it word for word. Has the critic provided accurate footnotes to Reconstructionists' books, articles, and newsletters? If not, then the reader should be initially skeptical of the critic's accusations. Perhaps the critic has not really mastered the literature that is being criticized. Perhaps it is a case of bearing false witness. Critics are responsible for doing their homework carefully. They should not rush into print with a lot of wild and unsubstantiated accusations. Their books should offer evidence that they have done their homework. 
If you have read any of these published criticisms and have believed them, you should go back to the books and ask yourself, do these critics provide evidence that they have really done their homework? If the answer is no, then you owe it to yourself to re-examine your negative conclusions regarding Christian Reconstruction. What are the Reconstructionist books that the critics should read before going into print? What are the books that an inquiring reader who is searching for specific answers to real-world problems ought to read? While the following list is not complete, it will provide the reader with a basic introduction to the teachings of the Christian Reconstruction movement. Basically, Christian Reconstruction rests on five theological doctrines. The absolute sovereignty of God, predestination, the covenant, biblical law, theonomy, the self-attesting reliability of the Bible, presuppositionalism, and optimism regarding the earthly future of Christianity, postmillennialism. We have included at least three books in each division, in alphabetical order, by author. There are many more books available in each division, but these are basic. The categories are General Introduction, Dominion, Biblical Law, Eschatology, Government, Politics, Economics, Social Welfare, Education, Philosophy, and Conspiracies, plus journals and newsletters. After you've looked over this list, ask yourself three questions. First, does any other infallible, Bible-affirming, six-day, creation-affirming, evolution-denying, Christian intellectual movement offer an equally comprehensive alternative to humanism? Answer, no. Second, is there any Christian college, university, or seminary anywhere in the world that presents to its students an equally comprehensive biblical program to challenge today's humanist civilization? If you can't think of any, join the club. Neither can we. Third, if it is true that we can't beat something with nothing, and it is, then what self-consciously Christian movement is most likely to challenge successfully the dominant humanism of our day? We think we know. These are not trick questions. They are real questions that demand serious answers. Critics of Christian Reconstruction abound, but they do not offer answers to these three crucial questions. Ask yourself this question. What are the critics of Christian Reconstructionism offering as a Bible-based, practical, alternative theological system? What precisely are their recommended alternative programs, world-transforming programs that follow consistently from their theological system? We can't expect to beat something with nothing. The humanists have something, and they have it in abundance. Power, money, the media, the universities, the law schools, and experience. Humanism's Roman Empire had something too, but where is the Roman Empire today? The church overcame it, century by century. The church had something even better to offer. The church had the foundations of social order, as Rush Dooney has titled his book on the social impact of the Christian creeds. It still has these foundations, and only the church has them. Nevertheless, there are millions of Christians today who have been taught, implicitly or explicitly, that Christianity has nothing as good as humanism to offer society outside of their individual heart, the family, and the local church. Because their teachers recognize that you can't beat something with nothing, they have long recommend that Christians stop fighting. They would rather have Christians surrender, losing by default. They recommend that Christians cease devoting scarce economic resources, time, money, and effort to challenging humanist civilization and instead adopt a program of tract passing. And even this tool is gone. When was the last time you passed a tract or even saw one? Not since the early 1960s, probably. In short, they teach that we just can't win. But we can win. Christianity has a better program for the world than Satan does. It has always had a better program. The trouble is, Christians have forgotten their own history. 
They have been taught history by humanists. They have allowed their enemies to teach them just about everything, but with Christians paying the compulsory tuition fees, tax-supported schools. It is time for Christians to relearn their history. To do this, they will have to start reading serious books. They should start with the following list. 1. General Introduction Gary North Liberating Planet Earth, an Introduction to Biblical Blueprints Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987. This is the first volume in the multi-volume Biblical Blueprint series, edited by Dr. North. It was written originally for use by Latin American pastors who are confronting the Marxist and socialist movement known as Liberation Theology. It provides a full-scale alternative to Liberation Theology. There are chapters on Christ and liberation, the God of liberation, the enemies of liberation, the covenant of liberation, plus individual chapters on the liberation of the individual, the family, the church, the state, and the economy. It concludes with a chapter on the inevitability of liberation. Gary North, Unconditional Surrender, God's Program for Victory, Revised Edition, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1981-1987. This inexpensive paperback book is filled with Bible verses, is simply written, and covers the many of the basic issues of Christian Reconstructionism, with chapters on God, man, law, and time, family, church, state, and economy, the kingdom of God, and a strategy for dominion. Gary North, 75 Bible questions your instructor prays you won't ask. Revised edition, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1984-1988. This little book covers three areas, predestination, biblical law, and eschatology. Each section contains 25 one-page questions, each tied to a Bible verse, and 25 one-page responses to familiar and questionable responses to these questions. The book is aimed at students who attend Christian colleges. Rousus John Rushdooney, The Institutes of Biblical Law, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Presbyterian and Reform Publishing Company, 1973. This is the central document of Christian Reconstruction. It is almost 900 pages long. It covers all the themes of Christian Reconstruction, but it focuses on what the Ten Commandments teach and how they can be applied and should be applied in the modern world. This book was the first to present the Christian Reconstruction position in its entirety. 2. Dominion. Abraham Kuyper, Lectures on Calvinism. Grand Rapids, Michigan, Erdman's, 1898, 1961. This book has gone through many editions. Kuyper served as Prime Minister of the Netherlands at the turn of the century. He was a distinguished theologian and the founder of several Christian newspapers. He was also the founder of the, now liberal, Free University of Amsterdam. There has never been anyone quite like him in the history of Christianity. His book contains chapters on Calvinism as a Life System, Calvinism and Religion, Calvinism and Politics, Calvinism and Science, Calvinism and Art, and Calvinism and the Future. He was very influential in the thinking of Cornelius Van Til. Obviously, he was writing long before Christian Reconstructionism appeared. Gary North, Backward Christian Soldiers, an Action Manual for Christian Reconstruction. Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1984. This popularly written paperback book is divided into five sections, the war, the enemy, strategy, tactics, and duration. It summarizes the issues dividing humanists from Christians and then goes on to demonstrate the nature of the conflict. 
Christians need a vision of victory and a specifically biblical concept of law in order to replace the humanists in the driver's seat of society. The section on tactics offers practical suggestions on how to operate a newsletter ministry, a cassette tape ministry, and the use of personal computers in Christian social action. Gary North, Dominion and Common Grace, The Biblical Basis of Progress, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1987. This easily read book deals with one fundamental question. If things are going to get better as the gospel spreads and serves as the foundation of a Christian civilization, why will there be a massive rebellion by Satan's human followers at the end of the millennium of peace? North answers that in order for a successful satanic revolt to take place, there first has to be a Christian civilization to revolt against. The book answers numerous other questions such as, why are non-Christians able to be productive? What is the relationship between biblical law and progress? What went wrong in Van Til's version of common grace? Why can't there be a secret rapture of the saints before Christ returns in final judgment? Gary North, The Dominion Covenant Genesis, 2nd edition, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1982-1987. This is the first volume of North's multi-volume economic commentary on the Bible. It explains every verse in Genesis that relates to economics. He begins with Genesis 1 and shows how the concept of man's exercise of dominion over the earth is inescapable. Man is a dominion agent under God, either as a covenant keeper or as a covenant breaker. The book contains several lengthy appendixes, including North's critique of Darwinism and modern thought, from cosmic purposeless to humanistic sovereignty, which North regards as his most important single essay. Ray R. Sutton, That You May Prosper, Dominion by Covenant, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1987. This book was the first to present the five-point biblical covenant model, Transcendence slash Presence, hierarchy, law, judgment, and inheritance. It then applies this model to the three covenantal institutions, family, church, and state. It includes detailed appendixes showing how this five-point model serves as the model for the Ten Commandments, Psalms, Matthew, Romans, Revelation, and Hebrews 8. 3. Biblical Law. Greg L. Bonson, By This Standard, The Authority of God's Law Today, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1985. In this easily read paperback book, Bonson presents the case for the continuing validity of Old Testament law in New Testament times. Chapters include God's Word as Our Norm, the Entire Bible as Today's Standard, the Covenant's Uniform Standard of Right and Wrong, the Categories of God's Law, the Political Implications of the Comprehensive Gospel, Law, and Politics in Old Testament Israel, and Law and Politics in the Nations Around Ancient Israel. This book presents the apologetic case for Rush Dooney's position in the Institutes of Biblical Law, but in a more easily digested form than in Bonson's much larger work, Theonomy and Christian Ethics, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Presbyterian and Reformed, 1977-1984. James B. Jordan, The Law of the Covenant, an exposition of Exodus 21-23. through Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1984. This book takes the long-ignored case laws found immediately following the Ten Commandments and explains how they worked in Israel and how their principles can still be used in the modern world. Chapters include the law as God-centered, the Bible as covenantal, the uses of the law, the unchanging law, the Bible as a book of life, laws regulating the state, 
plus sections dealing with slavery, violence, stewardship, marriage, witness-bearing, and time and rest. Gary North, Tolls of Dominion, The Case Laws of Exodus, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1988. This is North's largest and most comprehensive book to date. It is part of his multi-volume economic commentary on the Bible. It takes up where Jordan's Law of the Covenant leaves off. It considers in great detail the case laws of Exodus, how they worked in Israel, how they could be applied today, how some of them have been fulfilled by Christ, how others have long operated in the history of Western law, and how the case laws could and should serve as the standard of a reconstructed civilization. R. J. Rushdooney, Law and Liberty, Vallecito, California, Ross House Books, 1971-1986. This book is a collection of 32 brief, easily read essays on the relationship between biblical law and civilization. Chapters include law and nature, the future, authority, chaos, evolution, alchemy, academic freedom, magic, government, property, inheritance, and the family. This book is the best introduction to the practical implications of biblical law for society. 4. Eschatology. Roderick Campbell, Israel and the New Covenant. Tyler, Texas. Geneva Divinity School Press, 1954-1981. This is a reprint of a pre-Christian Reconstruction book on prophecy. For many years, it served Christian Reconstructionists as their primary book on eschatology. It is easy to read. It contains 35 chapters, each about 10 pages long, on such topics as Judaism and Christianity, Theocracy and Revelation, the Historical Covenants, the Heavenly Army, the New Age, the New Heavens and the New Earth, the New Kingdom, Covenant Law, and the Assurance of Victory. David Chilton, Paradise Restored, A Biblical Theology of Dominion, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1985. This book presents the Bible's case for long-term earthly optimism before the second coming of Christ and final judgment. It is filled with Bible verses. Chilton has allowed the Bible to comment on itself. He provides the extensive Old Testament background to Jesus' prophecies concerning the future of Israel and the church. David Chilton, The Days of Vengeance, an exposition of the Book of Revelation. Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987. This is a large, detailed commentary that presents the case that the prophecies of Jesus regarding Israel were almost all fulfilled with the Romans' destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. This is an ancient interpretation in church history, but Chilton argues it more forcefully and with greater attention to detail than previous commentators. He also goes into great detail explaining some of the most difficult prophetic passages in the Bible, including the dragon, the beast, 666, and the harlot. David Chilton, The Great Tribulation, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987. This little paperback book presents the case that the prophesied Great Tribulation was in fact the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. It is a simplified introduction to the primary theme of his book, The Days of Vengeance. He argues that all of church history since AD 70 is post-tribulational. There will be no future Great Tribulation to threaten the church. 5. Government. Gary DeMar, God and Government. Three volumes. Atlanta, Georgia. American Vision, 1982 through 1986. These books are workbooks designed to introduce people to the concept of God's system of government. Beginning with self-government under God's law, they present the case that all government is God's government. They present the case against the idea of neutrality in law and government. They are suitable for Bible study classes and Sunday school classes. Gary DeMar, 
Ruler of the Nations, Biblical Blueprints for Government, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987. This is Volume 2 of the Biblical Blueprints series. It presents the case for the world under God's law. It is structured in terms of the five-point biblical covenant model. It includes chapters on the sovereignty of God, the bottom-up biblical hierarchy, plural law systems, and plural gods, God judges the nations, the myth of neutrality, and rebuilding takes time. It then applies biblical principles to government, to family, church, and state. 6. Politics. George Grant, The Changing of the Guard, Biblical Blueprints for Political Action, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987. This eighth volume of the Biblical Blueprint series takes the five-point covenant model and applies it to politics. Then it applies the conclusions to church, family, and personal action. It begins with this presupposition, the earth is the Lord's. Then it continues with chapters on render unto him, sins of commission, sins of omission, reclaiming the land, honorable opposition, and prayer and precept. All of life is under God's law. If Christians refuse to press the crown rights of King Jesus in politics, then humanists will win by default. This book shows that Jesus died for politics too, for there are political ramifications in Christ's redemptive program. R. J. Rushdoony, The One and the Many, Studies in the Philosophy of Order and Ultimacy, Fairfax, Virginia, Thorburn Press, 1971-1978. This is Rushdoony's History of Western Man's Social and Political Thought. He examines the history of humanist tyranny from the point of view of the doctrine of the Trinity, the equal ultimacy of unity and plurality in the Godhead. It includes chapters on the ancient tyrannical states, Greece, Rome, the early church, medieval thought, and the rise of the modern power state. R. J. Rushdoony, Politics of Guilt and Pity, Fairfax, Virginia, Foborn Press, 1970-1978. In this collection of 34 essays, Rush Dooney shows how Christianity is at war with humanism in the field of politics and civil government. Humanism teaches that man can save himself through political action. Christianity teaches that only God can save man, and politics is only one of many spheres of action and responsibility for the redeemed man. The book is divided into four sections, the politics of guilt, the politics of pity, the politics of money, and the sociology of justification. Its most important essay is Calvin in Geneva, first published in 1954. It also includes The United Nations, A Religious Dream, one of three important essays he has written on the UN. 7. Economics David Chilton, Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators, A Biblical Response to Ronald J. Sider, 4th edition, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1986. This is a detailed answer to Ronald Sider's case for government intervention in the name of Jesus. Chilton presents a positive case for the free market in terms of fundamental biblical principles. He then shows that Sider's more socialistic position is based on anti-Bible standards. Sider refused to respond to Chilton in the second edition of his book in 1984. Chilton then rewrote his own book to include answers to Sider's second edition. Sider has remained silent. Ian Hodge, Baptized Inflation, A Critique of Christian Keynesianism, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, 1986. This book is similar to Chilton's Productive Christians. 
it singles out a particular economist who has offered modern economic interventionism in the name of Jesus and attacks his system line by line. At the same time, this strategy of negative criticism offers Hodge an opportunity to present the positive biblical case for economic liberty. His target is the, the Keynesian economist Douglas Vickers, who has publicly proclaimed who has publicly proclaimed himself as a follower of Cornelius Van Til. Gary North's preface to the book is an uncompromising attack on the self-conscious mixing of biblical phrases and political liberalism that goes on daily in Christian college classrooms. Tenured liberal professors will not appreciate his characterization of them as epistemological child molesters. Gary North, An Introduction to Christian Economics, Nutley, New Jersey, Craig Press, 1973. Unfortunately, out of print, this book was published the same year as Rush Dooney's Institutes of Biblical Law. It is a collection of 31 essays on the relationship between the Bible and free market economics. Chapters include The Biblical Critique of Inflation, Repressed Depression, Downward Price Flexibility, and Economic Growth, Status Bureaucracy in the Modern Economy, The Mythology of Spaceship Earth, the Teacher, Glut, Tariff War, and Stewardship and Usury. Many of these essays were published originally in The Freeman in the late 1960s when North was a graduate student. Gary North, Honest Money, The Biblical Blueprint for Money and Banking. Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1986, Volume 5 of the Biblical Blueprints series. Not many people recognize that the Federal Reserve System is the institutional source of today's monetary problems. Fewer know why. Fractional Reserve Banking. Fewer still know that the Bible establishes rules that would make fractional reserve banking illegal. North presents the Bible's case for honest money, and it is not the case for social credits, government-printed paper money, nor is it the case for a government-operated gold standard. It is the case for responsible liberty under law, free coinage, and 100% reserve banking. Gary North, Inherit the Earth, The Biblical Blueprint for Economics, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987. Volume 7 of the Biblical Blueprints series. This is one of the Biblical Blueprints series. It presents the case for free market economics in terms of the five-point biblical covenant model. It deals with such topics as scarcity, theft, debt, exchange, profit and loss, and dominion. It then applies these economic principles to family, church, and state. 8. Social Welfare. George Grant, Bringing in the Sheaves, Transforming Poverty into Productivity, Atlanta, Georgia, American Vision, 1985. This was George Grant's first book on Christian charity. He established his help program in a church of 35 people in the early 1980s in Humble, Texas, just north of Houston. Both the church and the program then grew rapidly. The book demonstrates that tax-financed poverty programs are part of a massive war on poverty, for they keep people in poverty generation after generation. The biblical answer is not more of the same. The answer is private Christian charity, coupled with a gospel that transforms individuals, families, and institutions. George Grant, In the Shadow of Plenty, The Biblical Blueprint for Welfare, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1986, Volume 4 of the Biblical Blueprint series. 
In this book, Grant presents the biblical principles that undergird a comprehensive program of redemption out of poverty. He argues that evangelism must be word and deed evangelism, putting our money where our mouths are. Dominion is by service and then by hard work. God does not randomly make people poor. He gives them blessings or cursings in terms of their obedience to his word. The way out of poverty is by obedience to God. After sketching ten principles of welfare, he applies them to civil government, the church, and the family. George Grant, The Dispossessed Homeless in America, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1986. Grant continues his criticisms of taxpayer-financed government welfare with a detailed study of the poverty that government programs have created. He shows how the divorce revolution has vastly increased the poverty of broken families, how the United Nations is getting ready to leap into the fray with compulsory international wealth transfer programs, how unemployment and the farm crisis offered looming problems. Most of all, he shows how a return to biblical Christianity will solve these problems. 25 pages of footnotes lead the serious reader into the literature of poverty. Ray R. Sutton, Second Chance, Biblical Blueprints for Divorce and Remarriage, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1987, Volume 10 of the Biblical Blueprint series. Pastor Sutton takes the five-point biblical covenant model and applies it first to divorce and second to remarriage. He argues that lawful divorce is always by death, primarily by covenantal death, and secondarily, where societies enforce biblical civil law, by execution. Remarriage is based on covenantal adoption because no major Christian counseling approach has fully understood that the covenant is the basis of marriage, none has seen that the Bible's rules regarding covenant breaking govern divorce and remarriage. This is a revolutionary book, one which truly does offer a guilt-free second chance to the innocent victims of covenant breaking marriage partners. 9. Education. David Chilton, editor, The Biblical Educator, Tyler, Texas, Institute for Christian Economics, this is the assembled collection of the ICE newsletter, The Biblical Educator, published from 1979 to 1982. It includes essays on education theory, teaching methods, and other issues related to the war between Christian day school education and the public school system. Gary North, Editor, Foundations of Christian Scholarship, Essays in the Van Til Perspective, Vallecito, California, Ross House Books, 1976. This is a compilation of scholarly essays that expose the myth of neutrality in several academic disciplines, education, psychology, history, mathematics, economics, politics, sociology, and philosophy. It is written at the level of an upper division college student. There is no other book quite like it. It is mandatory reading for all college students. The authors include Gary North, R.J. Rush Dooney, Greg Bonson, Vern Poitras, William Blake, Larry Pratt, and John Frame, whose concluding essay on Van Til is regarded by many of Van Til's followers as the classic summary of Van Til's position. R. J. Rushdooney, The Messianic Character of American Education, Studies in the History of the Philosophy of Education, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Presbyterian and Reformed, 1963. This book surveys the humanist philosophies of education of 21 major American educators, 
Plus includes chapters on such topics as liberal education, the divine rights of education, the kindergarten as a model for a new Eden, education as religion, and the lowest common denominator. The chapters include detailed references to the primary sources of progressive education. This book has been the Bible of the Christian school movement in the United States for a generation. It exposes, as no other book has, the myth of neutrality in modern humanist education. Robert L. Thoburn, The Children Trap, The Biblical Blueprint for Education, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1986, Volume 6 of the Biblical Blueprint series. Christian school founder, state legislator, and real estate entrepreneur Robert Thoburn presents the case for Christian day school education and against public government schools. He asks the fundamental question, who owns the child? He concludes that God does, and he then shows that the Bible teaches that God has delegated to families, not to the state and not to the church, the responsibility of educating their children. His final chapter on the state presents a comprehensive program for hamstringing the public schools politically. 10. Philosophy Richard Pratt, Every Thought Captive, A Study Manual for the Defense of Christian Truth Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Presbyterian and Reformed, 1979 This book is an easy-to-read introduction to the philosophy of Cornelius Van Til. It was originally designed as a course for high school students. R. J. Rushdoony, By What Standard? An Analysis of the Philosophy of Cornelius Van Til, Tyler, Texas, Thoburn Press, 1959-1983. This was Rushdoony's first book. It presents a tightly written, and not particularly easy to read, presentation of Van Til's presuppositionalist approach to the philosophical defense of Christianity. Van Til's work is the philosophical foundation of Christian Reconstructionism. Although Van Til was not himself a Christian Reconstructionist, no one has presented the case against the myth of neutrality more forcefully than Van Til. He shows that all philosophies are presuppositional. There are really only two systems, those that presuppose that the God of the Bible created everything and that his word is therefore the standard of truth, and those that presuppose that man is ultimately autonomous and that his word is the standard of truth. Van Til taught philosophy to the late Francis Schaeffer in the mid-1930s. Cornelius Van Til, The Defense of the Faith, 2nd Edition, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, Presbyterian and Reformed, 1963. This is Van Til's most famous book on apologetics. The Philosophical Defense of Christianity. The difficulty with reading Van Til is that he approached every topic by refuting what is wrong in his opponent's system. This makes for hard reading, but his basic theme is always present. Without presupposing the creator God of the Bible, man's thinking is always incomplete and inconsistent. Autonomous man, he said, is like a child that must sit on his father's lap in order to slap his face. 11. Conspiracies Douglas R. Grothius, Unmasking the New Age, Downers Grove, Illinois, InterVarsity Press, 1986. A calm, scholarly look at the New Age movement with chapters on its philosophical roots, pantheism, monism, the counterculture, holistic health, the human potential movement in psychology, and New Age spirituality. 
It shows how close New Age ideas are to modern humanism. The book demonstrates that it is possible for Christians to examine critically a rival religious movement without becoming hysterical and without falling for Satan's lie that he and his cohorts will inevitably win in history, making Christians historical losers. Gary North, Conspiracy, A Biblical View, Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1986. North demonstrates that Satan's preferred approach to social change is conspiratorial. Satan is in rebellion to God. His earthly followers are also in rebellion. They seek to overturn God's rule in history. Thus, all history is intensely personal. History is not the product of impersonal forces. He lists two kinds of conspiracy, revolutionary and murderous, Marxism, Nazism, and deal-doing and compromising, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission. Both are equally opposed to Christianity. The deal-doers are pressing for convergence with the communist. The communists agree, but only on their terms. What Christianity offers is an open, non-conspiratorial alternative, as North demonstrates. John 18, 19-20. Gary North, Unholy Spirits, Occultism, and New Age Humanism. Fort Worth, Texas, Dominion Press, 1986. This is the updated version of his 1976 book, None Dare Call It Witchcraft. In the original book, North exposed the higher consciousness New Age movement, the first book by a Christian to deal in detail with this topic, published seven years before Constance Cumbie's Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow. In it, he shows the connections between modern humanistic philosophy and ancient occultism. The two are being fused by the New Age movement. The updated version adds chapters on flying saucers, UFOs, and on eschatology. R. J. Rushdooney, The Nature of the American System, Fairfax, Virginia, Thoburn Press, 1965-1978. This collection of historical essays includes his path-breaking chapter on the relationship between Unitarian humanism and revolution, the religion of humanity. It also includes a chapter on the United Nations and another on the conspiracy view of history. This is the companion volume to Rush Dooney's This Independent Republic, Studies in the Nature and Meaning of American History, Fairfax, Virginia, Thoburn Press, 1964-1978. 12. Journals. The Journal of Christian Reconstruction, published by the Chalcedon Foundation, P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California. This scholarly journal has been published since 1974. Gary North was its editor until 1981. Christianity and Civilization, published by Geneva Ministries, P.O. Box 131300, Tyler, Texas, 75713. Only four volumes of this journal appeared, 1982 to 1985 two edited by Gary North, and two edited by James Jordan. 13. Newsletters. Newsletters covering many topics are available from the following organizations. As time goes on, many organizations continue to adopt elements of the Christian Reconstruction position, and the first thing they do is start a newsletter. These four organizations have been around the longest. American Vision, P.O. Box 720515, Atlanta, Georgia, 30328. Calcedon Foundation, P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. Institute for Christian Economics, P.O. Box 8000, Tyler, Texas, 75711. Council of Calcedon, 3032, Hacienda Court, Marietta, Georgia, 30066.